on the tee, Jack Nicklaus. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Hey guys, how you doing? Welcome to another episode of the Bogeyman Golf Podcast, hosted by Dave and Johnny. Um, we've got a very special episode today. Uh, Matt Sandercock, Director of Golf for Mount Julia Golf Club. They were the host of the, or they are to be the host of the Irish Open for 2020, dependent upon this coronavirus situation. Matt gave us a lot of time, way more than I had anticipated, Dave. Yeah, um, and it, the, the conversation we pre-recorded, so it, like, it goes down a couple of rabbit holes around um, the PGA Tour, the European Tour, and then we get into kind of the region as well, the Irish region, and we talk about young pros trying to qualify for the Irish Open and a little bit on a couple of high-promising amateurs. And where Matt feels that these guys, young amateur or young professionals and young amateurs should go with their game. Um, we, t- we talked about a lot of stuff here. Um, it's a long episode, so hope you enjoy. Now, guys, I'm delighted to say that we are joined by Matt Sandercock. He is the Director of Golf at Mount Juliet. Matt, how are you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Johnny. Yourself? All well? Yeah, good. Surviving. How's, uh, how's the course looking out there? I miss it. It's lovely. Uh, it's lovely out there, to be honest. Yeah, it's uh, very green, as you can imagine. Um, it's all looking in good shape. I mean, we'd be looking, what would we now? We'd been 25 days away from the Pro-Am. We would have been set at the Irish Open. So the course is ready for it there, uh, which is, is a bonus, to be honest, that the course is in such good shape going into this current situation. Yeah, it's like that, that forbidden fruit. You're saying it looks great and you're not used to it being not played on it. No, no. It's very strange looking out at a sunny Saturday in May and there's no one there's no one here to enjoy what, what we have to offer. It's uh, very, very peculiar, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm definitely missing it anyway myself. For, for anyone that may not know, would you be able to give a bit of, be- bit of background on yourself and how you came to Majulia? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Devon and Cornwall. played for county sides over that side and then got a job at Bovey Castle Hotel which is a five-star resort when I was 17 as a golf pro uh, so I turned pro on my 18th birthday so that stage I was the youngest you could be and five years there which was actually five years two days ago uh, there was the anniversary that I then left and went to Sunningdale for another seven years to work for Keith Maxwell so that was the big move for me moving from Devon and Cornwall up to England's number one golf course, to be honest, or golf courses, there's two there, so very lucky. And then from that, I just continued through my PGA, made some great friends in the industry, Um, Paul McGinley being one of those who then put Mountain Juliet on the map for me uh, and said to take a look at it, so I did. And then three years down the line, nearly now, (laughs) here I am over in uh, Kilkenny, yeah, so I moved the family and everyone else over, so it's been good. What was that change like from Sunningdale to, to Thomastown? Yeah, I mean, I think first year was probably the hardest I've ever had to deal with of everything, everything from uh, suppliers to to course to to different membership style altogether, uh, like your private members club, uh, just outside of London, the Ascot area. So very wealthy, very active membership playing every day that we'd be part of in the membership with teaching and playing to a very different style membership over here with the resort. So in a rural area rather than a built up. So there's a lot of differences 
first year was tough, I think. And then once we moved off the estate and found our own home, that was a nice way to, to change things. Is it, is it a more demanding like the membership down there obviously is very is quite local as well um but is it more demand was it more demanding yeah. than coming from from south london it's side? very different demands to be honest when you come from a pure yeah. members club um the, the questions are different to what you receive at more of a member cross resort you see sure. with, with having two golf clubs as well at sunning day you'd have one that would be just for members every day near enough so there's always a member able to play whereas mm-hmm. it's very different when there's only one golf course and you have a corporate event or a charity event and then members as well. And, and with obviously like, like Johnny was, we were talking there earlier with houses on the estate as well, having, having to play in the evenings potentially when they want to play or, and as a group, yeah. a little bit of different management there. So. Sure. And maybe like, obviously don't want to go too far into it, but probably socioeconomically it's a different demand is placed based on like Southwest London affluence as well. Is there, is, was that tricky to navigate over there as opposed to here? Well, yeah, I think that was difficult, um, difficult initially for me to get my head around the changes in that. Uh, that was, that was a strange one. I mean, now you look at it, it's, it's definitely more in my forefront of my mind in the situation <laughs> we're in now. I mean, I would have been sat at Sunningdale, although the guys aren't working, there's no, once it's ready, it's ready. And the mm-hmm. golf course is a very different base, so it doesn't need quite the maintenance that a parkland would in Ireland. Like yesterday, I was uh, on a call there and I was looking at hailstones and it was the 1st of May. <laughs> like I think there's too much of that happening in southwest London in May. So there's a few changes. Uh, weather as well as economically. So it's, it's, yeah, it's been a different one. Um, it's been a test, that's for sure. And I think it's something you have learned from. And I've always kind of stated that you shouldn't really stay anywhere more than sort of seven, eight years. So I think in our industry, you get very stale. Sure. You can become a little bit too acclimatized to where you are, and it's good to stretch yourself. And like I'm 32 now, and I've done well, the biggest club in England. This is this is a fantastic club here in Ireland. So it's, it's where you really want to go with your careers, I think, and learning. And director of golf for me was a big step to to go to. So yeah, it's 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 two very high profile clubs for someone at that that age. It's not yeah. common you'll see a director of golf in no. the early 30s at a resort or being in the position you were at Sunnydale. It's no. Normally, it's the kind of all, so was traditionally the director of golf might have been more kind of moved away from the playing side into the office, um, fatigued of all the. Would have, yeah. The I think they, I was fortunate. Here you are. I was, I turned pro when I was 18. Uh, well, when I was 17, I started there. So I left when I was just 22. So Sunningdale, Keith really took the big shot on me there, I guess, because I'd been sort of head assistant at a five star hotel. So to take me into a member background. Uh, and that level it was, it was a funny one because I actually applied for the job and then totally forgot I applied for the job. And then it was like you get a phone call and it's Keith Maxwell from Sunningdale saying, Do you want an interview on a Friday? I was an ex. And you're, think, you're thinking of which one of your mates is this? I was thinking, up yeah, to, yeah, yeah. In my head. And, then, and I had to have an interview the next morning at quarter to nine in Sunningdale. So I was, that's four and a half hour drive from my house at that time. So I went up. Player had an interview, drove back, and had to go back for a playing interview, which is pretty old school these days now. Like wow. to, a playing to, interview, really? Yeah, you had to be played in at Sunning Dells. So you had to have, oh. you had to play with Keith realistically. You had to have, you had to have game to play to, to get in. Yeah, right? and it was we were sat in the bar having a coffee, um, and then he comes in and says, "Right, you ready?" And that was it. There's no practice, like because Sunning it's you play ready, so you go and straight to the first tee yeah. off it went, and yeah, wow. it was. As it it was a whirlwind kind of month. It was good. I actually hold 
I hit my t-shirt out of bounds on 16, which was quite, if you knew the new course of Sunnydale, it's not the best t-shirt. And then, uh, then hold my six iron for my second shot to like save that hole. And then ended up finishing two threes. I finished birdie eagle. It was just the weirdest. I finished par birdie eagle and I lost the ball on one of them. <laughs> it was just <laughs> kind of go, yeah, something must be working on my favor this day. So uh, really fond memories there. And that's where really it changed my career path, I guess. And yeah. moved to Devon and Cornwall and stopped, stopped me potentially staying there for, for years on end. Wow. And you mentioned that um, you built up a relationship with, with Paul McGinley. Um, yeah. How did that, how'd that come about? Obviously, like, he's a radical captain. Yeah, well, Sunningdale, again, I mean, Paul's a member there. So we had quite a lot of the players uh, would be members there. You'd have Sam Torrance was a good friend. I'd play a lot of golf with Sam at the time there. And the membership there would play golf with us as the assistants. And you'd gamble with them. Um, you'd end up helping them out. And I remember helping Paul a little bit at times. And there's a few others. Anthony Wall was, was a great influence around the place. Tony Johnson. These guys were, were big names and me and Paul just kind of hit it off. And then I started just helping out his young lad a little bit. Then I had to house sit for him when he'd go away. And it kind of just spiraled into we were spending New Year's Eve, my family with his family. <laughs> like, and we just, yeah, just become friends, I think. It was, I was kind of fortunate enough. I think I never struggled with the starstruck aspect, which you would see a lot at Sunningdale because you see such high profile sure. visitors and guests and and Paul was poor, like, yeah. come across him, he's such a nice guy and down to earth. And like, yeah, he's the Ryder Cup captain and he's hold the winning part and he's won on the tour a few times and all these things. But he, yeah, he's a good guy. He's just a good guy. Yeah, there, there seems to be that general, just down to earth element of that generation of golfer from Dublin. Now, I actually think it's from that stems from their background. You can kind of even see with Port Carrington, Peter Laurie, it, they come from working class families effectively what we're very working class areas in Dublin. Yeah. And they all grew up on the same type of courses with the same type of old school membership, almost raised by the golf club rather than raised by a country club, which is a very distinct difference. Yeah, it's, it's good as well that way. I mean, it'd be a similar way to I grew up as a junior there and you get dropped up at eight o'clock when your mum's going to work and picked up at half five or sometimes yeah. half eight if you can sneak the third round in for the day sort of thing. So. And, if, and if one of the old guys has to have a word with your dad. Yeah. You're in trouble, like, yeah. yeah well, I think you me there. I was playing in the men's club team at the age of 11, so I was playing against <laughs> other clubs when I was 11 years old. So I'm having to go away with these guys, mix the other teams, and you're like, I'm 11, like, you know, it was the strangest teeing off first time when I was 11, and it was in like a, a county finals thing I was called up for last minute. Like, you just this is year 11 <laughs> and you look back <laughs> at it again that's just mad like my eldest son's five now i can't imagine in six years time six years he's time, like yeah. somebody and <laughs> we're not beaten by an 11 year old that that's yeah, the other yeah, side the, the guy was a yeah. good partner so it was all right <laughs> <laughs> but golf yeah Forsen's golf at the age of 11 with a very good 40 year old adult at the time was, was different and with that like, kind of rise did the tour ever kind of impact you at all no, the tour, I mean, the tour when you're a kid is, is brilliant. And I think as I got older, I found I actually enjoyed teaching more. The, the enjoyment from teaching, I, I had way more enjoyment from teaching and seeing someone progress than I have from playing. And I've played good golf courses, played good golf, shot some good scores. But I think when you see someone improve and you improve somebody's game and their improvement, I, and that's what really struck me when I was around 15, I could help others a lot more than... Yeah, I was, I was a good golfer, obviously, but I think the fact you could tell somebody something and it worked, 
meant for me that my interest was purely purely really in the coaching element at that stage and that's when I focused my sort of attention to that Great. so now Matt like that you're saying with the with the move and I with the traditional move to director of golf is the move to the office from the post shop give or take is that something that you massively miss because that's the beast that you like so much about it now it's is that do you have a chance to do that down there or do you can you have a, take on a couple of young players and stuff I think it's been a case of when I come in as a transition and things were changing and had to be changed and the club's in a good place. It's, it's really settled into a nice way now. And I think I'd like to get back out coaching now and, and that's what I want to do. And it's definitely a big ambition of mine to get back. Just, just coaching. It doesn't need to be a top player. Like I've done that. I've, I've taught the guys on the, the tour. I've taught, helped those guys. I've helped Walker Cup players. I don't need that. I just want to, you kind of just want to put the smile back on a few guys' faces by moving their thumb half an inch and giving them a half decent grip or something could be yeah. just as much of a thrill to be honest uh, so yeah the teaching is something i'd like to get back into and, and the club fitting element i really enjoy doing that so they're the two things i'd want to primarily bring back into into golf yeah into. well listen once the uh, once these restrictions lift I'm, I'm always around for a lesson if you want <laughs> yeah and always welcome i mean that's where we are and i think we, we introduced that back when i come in i introduced club fitting mm. uh, for the members it wasn't previously offered so we have Taylor made in Callaway that was again a good start there's brands back in and, and members have appreciated that I think I mean Johnny can probably answer that easier than I can that for the membership to have the clubs to try and test it's, it's a good it's a good platform for everyone and nice way for people to see the technology yeah I mean even the last round of golf that I played Devon you you gave me a Taylor made driver head to just play around with so having that kind of facility from my point of view where I'm looking at you know, what kind of driver should I be playing against what's currently in my bag? Definitely helps me look at where my game is at and where I can improve. Um, it's big differences. So it's positive. Um, yeah. And I think that's where golf really, uh, golf can set itself apart is, is the custom fit element and the service level. And I think once you get those two right, once you can provide a service and improve somebody's game without them having to do anything, <laughs> that's always a good start. We chat a bit about the um, the move to Manchester. We'll get we'll get on to kind of the Irish Open and stuff. But um, obviously, there, it's, a, it's a Jack Nicholas design course. You were at Sunningdale. So what was the the attraction to Manchester? Well, I think really the attraction to, to Manchester was it's like I was saying at the start. I think you can get stale somewhere. And my career was in a really good spot. I'd have been twenty nine at Sunningdale. I was senior assistant, so I was number two there to, to Keith. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was great. I'd done my 20s. I just had my first child. Yeah, first child was here. Second child was nearly there at that stage. And it was time for a change. I think Mount Juliet and the way Paul spoke highly of the venue. Um, championship golf course, obviously, you look at the roll call of winners. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. So the interest was there. Uh, a lot of my college golf was played at a Jack Nicholas course in St. Melian. So yeah. there's an interest level for me there. It was really, I'd been in hotels. I'd been to membership. Kind of wanted to go back into the hotel membership world, and a, a, a venue I could host a tournament. We'd done I'd done the Seniors Open in 2015, so I'd done a major event there. I wanted to try and do another tournament somewhere. Hence, the Irish Open was always the the main. I would say you'd have it as the carrot would have been my thing. Would have been that's what I was. That was the big draw. Uh, we looked at a couple of events my first year, and then this now the Irish Open. So this is the one, really. I mean, in Europe, outside of the champ BMW that went worth. And the majors, there's nothing bigger. So, and Ireland embraces these events. So for those those kind of things, if you go into a great course, the investment in the hotel, 
Tetra Apple doing a great job and bringing in so much to the venue. It's an exciting time and, and I want to be part of that. So it made sense. The family was young enough to move. So if not now, it would have been, I would have been stuck, I think, when they're in school. When the conversations kind of started around, so obviously Nigeria was, was pegged to host the Irish Open for this year, which has been postponed or, or cancelled. Oh, yeah, just postponed at the postponed. minute, yeah. Get the date soon. So it is, so I, I wanted to get onto that. Um, I may as well get into it now. Mm-hmm. As a Rolex Series event that is pe- that is scheduled to go on at some point in 2020, it's not a case of May Julia 2021. Well, at the minute, it's just they're all postponed. There's no there's no date attached. It's a postponed event, and as soon as it's safe to do so, and for the tour to travel, and the players, I assume, to travel, then we'll get dates sorted from there. But it's very much a case of yeah, we're looking forward to hosting it, and we really can't wait. And members, like I say, they it's the same. Everyone wants this event. We can't wait to have it. Such a big event for the community, the region. Um, yeah, it's really, it was really disappointing from a, a purely selfish factor that this, <laughs> the Irish Open's not going ahead in a few weeks' time. Yeah. But, but for the greater good, this really had to be done. And it was a great call to make. They made it in good timing. And the fact that we can, we're in a good stead now, it's a great benefit going forward as well that the course is it's ready. We, we, can, we can sharpen the course up and get it ready when, when we're due to host this. And, and we really hope we get the same guys. I mean, the field is shaping up with Rory and Ram and Shane. I mean, who else do you want? You're probably going to get your Fleetwoods. I mean, I just want Petrol because he's bound to say something. Yeah. So I think those guys would be like great, great to have around. And if I'm honest, I think it'd be a great boost. So it was going to be Cat Laugh's weekend, Nickel Kenny. So the whole Nickel Kenny was going to be pretty much um a party i would say for a good week on a bank holiday weekend guarantee the sun it probably made it it probably made it harder that the place was starting to look really 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 tour shape as well when the when the call was made it was just probably on that that press was had gone from the it, the heavy sanding works that you'd done it, to, to leaves starting to form you know it's <clears> look <throat> at the trees that are just like big sticks for like a few months in anticipation for kind of february because you can't do too much on the park and in the winter. So we, we got a load of work done in January, February time. The Greens team done an amazing job. And, yeah. and then it just kind of it's snowballed, to be honest. The whole situation kind of just snowballed out of nowhere. In the, and then it was made, the call was made. And then we go straight into the lockdown kind of scenario. And the sun shone for two weeks. And it's, it's imperfect. So it was, it was tough, but it was the right call. I, I don't think people kind of appreciate what it takes probably to get even a course that's in as good condition as Medjuliet up to up to scratch, even to go to that next level for a tour event. I remember I was at the Inside the Ropes event, um, yeah. the commercial partners event, and we played a tour scramble there. And the work that was been done on the practice ground was absolutely startling. Like the amount, of, the, the guys were there, at, we were there at seven o'clock and the guys were sanding at seven. They were like coring and sanding at seven and they were still doing that at a about five o'clock when we left that evening and that was just the practice range the practice range yeah that had just been the practice ground i mean the guys they put in a mountain of work and our bodies are working Mm. and i think personally that coming out of even a situation we're in and the irish open greenkeepers have to be commended for the work they've done through this whole period i mean it's got to be one of the worst winters on record for for weather Mm -hmm. and they come in and face this and and crews are shortened and the guys are putting in such a, a body of work and like even now, I look at the plans that were set in place, and the stands were going up, and the 18th grandstand will probably be going up 
now and you look out the window and there's <laughs> it's not a grandstand there's actually nobody so it's it's just a, it's just a strange mindset but it, the thing we've learned from it is so many things in planning already so so much you would have gained from the planning process although it's been postponed we now have probably maybe better plans or slightly refined plans for something sure. we can maybe offer better three months down the line or if it's next year then next year it is we can do something that might be more refined to what we were getting feedback from so experience when we get when we open here this year they're going to be playing a tour golf course when a tour event should have been happening so there's a benefit there for the membership and the guests and also the fact we know we can do this we know we can turn it around now we know what what could be needed to improve it for the event um so if we can get the likes of rory and ram and that signing up again like we're going to have some event that's for sure just on before we get into kind of the tour, actually the 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 chat with the tour um <clears throat> how do you think the course was going to goes was going to stand up to to that standard of player and that length of player because it's not the longest place in the world um you can mm-hmm. lengthen it obviously to about 7003 mm-hmm. um it, it's going to if it goes this year it's going to be harder conditions drier conditions ball's going to run how how will the course stand up work? What what are the what's the protection that you can put in there? Like it's lush, it's green. So what, what can you do? Plans we to... had in place. Plans we had in place was the rough is what it would be now. They're not going to get out of that on too many greens very quick. And if it's firm, they're not going to stop either. So yeah. purely about hitting fairways around here. Uh, if they play it this year, it it wouldn't be much different if they play it in May. I would say the only thing you're going to have change is wind direction. If it gets late in the year and the wind direction is the way around, Johnny would know the autumn and in winter time when the wind changes yeah. the, the may date suits that suits the player uh, but i do think with the the level of rough and the requirements we were looking at around the green side with approaches and and the firmness of greens i mean you're not going to stop these guys now there'll be 20 plus under will win i mean they, they took the hinge apart with 17 under was it i believe and i think was it robert rock shot 60 yeah. 60 yeah 60 you can do that around the hinge if there's no no wind, then these guys now, if you have a soft green and a, and they hit a fairway, it's a birdie. Like our yeah. greens are good enough yeah. to say on hand on heart, like some of the best greens you'll get around. So yeah. if if they can throw darts, the biggest fear for us was going to, uh, the biggest fear when we talk about this now was in October, was we were thinking of having soft greens. <laughs> like, yeah. How on earth is that even relevant when I look at it now? But that was our concern was it would be soft soft conditions and at the end of the day, I think everyone says, oh, you don't want to be shooting 25 under. Why not? Like, yeah. if Rory goes out there and shoots 61, 61, 61, 61, he set a tournament record, he set a world record. Like, I'm over the moon with that. Yeah. You get the right yeah. winner. And if you get the right guy, promote the venue from his side, which would be our biggest thing, is if you, if you follow the, the winners we've had, of Tiger, Ernie, Torrance, Faldo, Langer, you'd say that one of the top guys are going to win again around here. Yeah, you were even saying, um, I think it was toward the end of last summer, you were at an Adidas event with um, Sergio Garcia. And, and he asked you, he's like, does he still hold the, the course That's record there? So, I mean, if Rory goes out and shoots a bunch of 61s, it's the kind of course that, you know, a few years down the line, he's still going to want to know and still be very proud of the fact he, still, he has a course yeah, record. He remembered hitting a shot into the 10th. Um, so to have a guy like Sergio remember your venue, and how he took apart the golf course on that 
morning and how he shot score and does he have the course record kind of puts in perspective the question there previous about making the move over when you have guys like that talk about your the venue you're potentially going to go to at that stage and the venue i'm at it, it kind of puts in esteem where mountain juliet really was for these guys and that's 20 years ago it's going to be realistically i mean it's 20 years ago in 25 years ago sorry in july that sam torrance won the irish open so like that was our last Irish Open for 25 years. So I think now the time is, it's right. Um, the course is ready. Team is good around it. And the course, the course will hold up to these guys. And I think the long, like I would rather push a few tees forward, change the hole up completely. Now that's not that that's not what was going to happen or was even planned to happen. But sometimes, you know, when you go to a golf course and they put you off the front tees. Yeah, you haven't got a clue how to play it. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's kind of that scenario, so something to look at anyway. But it's uh, it's good. Look forward to the event. Will the tour take you? Will the tour? Does the tour in general then? So when Simon Alice comes over, who's tournament director, he pops over and he's done multiple site visits. Is that a consideration in the conversations he have, or is it simply just the logistics of hosting the tour venue or hosting the actual tour event? Uh, well, the guys, once they're here, the event will be held here. So then it becomes down how they want the course to play. Mike Stewart was a championship director, I think it was at the time, was his title for us here. And he kind of decides the power of the course, the setup, if the, if the rough's going to be cut in, cut out, length. And I mean, he was over the moon with it here, the agronomy team there, uh, led by Eugene Hennessy. He, he, was, he was really happy with the condition of the golf course, the fact that mats were actually lifted. We had mats to go and play in mid-March to play off of. And they, they were happy for the, the mats to come off for us to have a dividend program instead. The course was really healthy at that stage. Still is. So those guys make the call really and then we, we answer from there. Having the resort is a big benefit for the tour players as well. Having bedrooms on site and a practice facility out the window. It's very logistically simple for them here. It's, it's an obvious event. Motorway to the door, 125 bedrooms. A city 20 minutes away. It's it's nice for them, I would say, to to organise. Yeah, they always talk about Turkey being like that as well. <clears throat> that the event in Turkey is so well run because everything is literally shuttled to the shuttle to the to the venue and don't have to budge. They don't have to find a restaurant. They don't have to get courtesy cars. They don't have to do anything. They literally they stroll out of bed onto the practice read onto the practice green and onto the first. So obviously that is a huge huge bonus for them because I suppose Lahinch is obviously logistically a little bit different from last year, for example. Yeah. The whole place is booked up for a bank holiday weekend. I mean, we when we got the announcement of the date, Cat Lass was obviously in the diary as well. So Kilkenny was pretty much on a sellout stage. Or so <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's it was fine, and we were working great. And the council were, were brilliant with us, and we were doing some good work with them, and the fire service as well as the guardy. So we we were doing well, and everything was bang on track. And It'll be the same when it comes around. We'll get it back. And like I said, we learned a few things to improve on. And, and I think that's really where the, the positives are. Right. So, so where does that process start for 2020, for example? At what stage do you feel that the tour are going to call up my Julian and say, Matt, we're on, we're going to go for this date. The, the USPGA has been very bullshit in terms of their date setting. Yeah. What do you need, I suppose, to logistically? Because you're going to have to have social distancing with greenkeeping staff, for example, for quite some time. 
yeah. to get the course into. So what, what's the what's the minimum date that you need to to have a to have notification from the? Tour? I would say at this stage there isn't even a date. I would say ownership would be in discussion with the tour on this. Um, the big thing really is crowds, movement of traffic. It's all depending on on the whole the government perspective and view and the crowds. The, the way it can work for players to get here. I mean, there's an inter- it's a European tour, but it's international. Um, yeah. Rory, for instance, would have been flying in from the States. So if he can't come in, that's the quarantine for 14 days. Is the quality of field going to be there? So there's a lot of bits into that. Um, whether we would know that next month or August, I don't know. It would really depend on, I assume, how successful the US tour starts up on the 11th of June. And then when they start the rest of the tours, because there's just so many different venues at the minute looking for events and the Scottish, obviously has a Rolex as well, looking to get in. And and then you have Ryder Cup and FedEx as well this year. There's so much in the schedule as to when that date would be available could be the, be the one. And that would be totally out of my hands. That would be a, a tour and ownership. And that's when we would know as soon as safe, I would say as soon as safe and they're confident in, Last thing you want to do is say we're going to go ahead on August and 12th and all of a sudden you're on another shutdown period or yeah. restriction. So there's not going to be any urgent announcement, that's for sure, because the safety of people is far more important than when we host the Irish Open, unfortunately, from my personal point of view. But generally, we need to make sure everyone's safe. If they're going to be visiting here, you need to make sure they can get here safe, get home safe. There's no risk or as limited risk as possible on any more virus spread um we've all been off the golf course for six weeks now by the time of the lockdown so we don't want to be introducing players from all over europe and then reintroduce this spread say later in the year we want to make sure everybody's safe before that happens and then and i'd say that's the same across all sports i would say even the calendar announcement last night or from when the t-shirt there said about any dates they're all going to be dependent on safety and how it performs and and I'd love to have the date now. I'd love to be able to say to everybody, we're hosting it on whenever it is chosen. It's such a positive story and everyone wants positive stories now. We've, we've done the, the downspin. So I'd really like to, be able to, to bring out some great news of when the event is. And, but I don't know when it is myself. So if I knew, I would be more than happy to let people know. But there's no, there's no date at this stage. It's only postponed. So that's positive that we are going to be hosting this Irish Open. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stand at a player out there now and they're going to be chomping at the bit to play. So there's no, yeah. there's no fear of the guys wanting to play golf. And I think once we get that going in the green light, we'll be ready to do so. That's great. There you go. Uh, the, actually, there is one, one, more, one more thing that I want to know. It was in relation to we were talking just there about having everything on site and a resort and the need for, say if we take the US model that they're kind of, the US, the PGA tour model, that they are going to test people before they leave, test people when they arrive at the venue. Do you think that the, or would you hope that the European tour would look at a venue like Mount Judith where it's all enclosed, so everyone's in the one place, will they look at that more favorably than say if it was a non-resort course where they didn't have everyone concentrated in the one place is it more of a risk or less of a risk um for them and would it influence their decision well i'd say it's 
it's probably like a 50-50 really, isn't it? I mean, if everyone's in one space and one person gets it, it's worse. But if there's two people in the area have got it, it could be just as bad. So I don't think that'll affect their decision. I think the decision will purely be made on when it's safe for, for all parties. It's great we have a resort. I mean, when you look at the plans at the minute with gyms and swimming pools closed down, players are going to want that. Yeah. So the, the player power is going to pull a little bit in regards to resort aspect. And obviously the tournament wouldn't be held before phase five anyway. So the, that wouldn't be a, a big thing. But at the same time, the contamination risk of everyone in the same restaurants, of social distancing, if we've now got to sit 140 players or 135 players. <laughs> Fight for the yeah. breakfast table in the morning. Yeah, it's how you get around that logistic. Now, that would be more beneficial for the players if they're all on one yeah. site and it can all be delivered to their room or whatever the, yeah. the way around it ends up panning out. That's the levels we go to. But yeah, I, 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 I thought it was I thought it was nothing but a benefit, actually, to be honest, in my own head, was because if you have everyone tested before they arrive, that means obviously you're, you have a level of certainty that everyone is okay, yeah. at which point you can effectively have a mini quarantine you would. You don't have to I mean, here's different. Yeah. The houses on the estate. So there's, there's homeowners live here. So you'd have to test them every morning because you could have different people come in and stay. Oh, God. Um, so there'd be another aspect there. That's say yeah. oh, roughly. So you'd have to test all of them morning and evening near enough as to who's coming in at the gates. Then you look at the staff needed to service all of them across three different outlets. You'd be talking probably a hundred staff each day just for the players, maybe. You have caddies yeah. to bring in to 140 players, 140 caddies. You, I think the number we were looking at, even behind closed doors event they discussed, would still be over 500 people without spectators because of the television cameras, the caddies, the players, the scorers. It's, it's an incredible amount of people. Yeah. It's not just the players. The players you could monitor, but it, it's the other. It's a complete rabbit hole that you go down in that you've, you come up with a solution and you think that quarant- like a resort is going to be better and then you realize the amount of people that are interacting with the resort on a daily basis and all of a sudden it's, you're, you're into, as you yeah. said, up to 600 people now to take care of the tour event. It is a big thing and I think for us we had um, Golf World, Golf America with the channel over there coming over to do it. So those guys traveling, there's so much logistical I wouldn't want to be me a tour operator or an airlines person or anything like that right now because it's I'm moving groups domestically, let alone trying to to figure that plan out. The players will want to play though, that's the main thing. And as soon as safe, I'm pretty sure they'll be they'll be ready to play. A lot of them will be doing their, their swing works and whatever in their off season. It's strange because a lot of guys would have had two off seasons. It's the guys that were on a good run of form will be hit most. Yeah. Your Van Royans, like I mean, he was flying it. I mean that guy there, it could be a big stumble for him where he could just hit the accelerator and improve again. It might regenerate a few guys that were struggling. The whole tour card will be different this year, how they secure it, I'd imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an odd one. Even Ryder Cup point score would have been obviously a big part of the point scoring for the Ryder Cup. Yeah, especially given what time of the schedule you'd have been in, you would have, yeah, we you would have known pretty straight away who was going to make that team. Yeah, we'd have been the second Rolex event, I believe it would have been at that stage. And being obviously the year it's in it, you'd have had your likes of Garcia's and Stenson and Rose. They weren't doing that great. So there's every chance they could have wanted to pitch up at Mount Juliet and get their points up to play in that Ryder Cup. So that was a big, big part of what players we may have enticed that you may not always get. So it'd be brilliant if we can still get that. And I think if 
if golfers aren't playing, they're still going to want to play next year. And like with Garcia's memories of the place, it'll be great. I mean, he'd be like a hero of mine growing up. So yeah, if if Garcia pitched up and played, like, that'd be fantastic. And and, and the, the leaderboards now, they're so good. Yeah. I mean, to be mm-hmm. No, yeah, the money is just attracting the best players. Like even the the, the likes of, it's becoming even more of an option for US players who are mid tier, who might struggle to make a million in the US, who can win tournaments here. Yeah, and the 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 comparison is that the European tour has got so much stronger as well. It's yeah. a very strong tour now, and if they did go head to head with Americans, you see it in the Ryder Cups. There's not a golfing class. It's it's just maybe a smaller field at the top of the leaderboard in Europe. Uh, whereas in the US, the density of player, I mean, you look at the Monday Q school scores yeah. over there and it's just, it blow your mind. Like how they don't win on tours is astonishing. You see like Sir Wolf and Morikawa coming out and Hovland and they're at college and they're winning. <laughs> so yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know how I would want to be competing in that stage. Yeah. I just remember Brooks kept Brooks kept been interviewed about Monday qualifying and he said if he had to qualify for every event through Monday qualifying he reckons he'd only be able to play half the tournaments during the year because he said he just can't go as low as those guys yeah I mean 60s and 61s exactly. to get through on a Monday every like, week every, every week every well. single week yeah regardless yeah, of where off. when or anything it's just <laughs> they can churn that so, number yeah it's not easy Brooks wouldn't exactly be a slouch would he in the scoring is front. there a Monday, no. qual- Monday qualifying on the European tour Matt no that no. doesn't exist now. No, not that I'm aware of. I've never known of it exist. Not recent yeah. times anyway. Like for our for the Irish Open there, there's qualifying being held. Um, in Port 20, Barnett Weekend before, yeah. The weekend before, 23rd, yeah. 24th of May that would have been. So there's some local guys there, like Brian Donny, for instance. He was like really gearing himself up for that weekend to practice, to, to try and play. I mean, Brian would be a member here as well as a pro. So for him, it would be a case of, how much better does it get if you could qualify and then play the Irish Open at your own golf course? I mean, that would be like a bit of a tick box scenario. Uh, Luke Donnelly as well. I mean, if Luke could qualify through various ways, I'm unsure on how a non-PGA gets in. But again, local player knows the course. If these guys can can hit the accelerator that one weekend, it would have been the weekend before. You're going to run into the following Wednesday on a, on a high of emotion, full of good golf from the weekend. And you're at your home venue. I mean, I couldn't, like, that'd be like a dream scenario for me to pick up that the following week. And that doesn't happen very, very often, I'm aware of. Yeah, I spoke to Connor Purcell um, <clears throat> earlier on in the year. So Connor would have been ranked ninth in the world before he turned pro yeah. um, uh, in his first year pro. And they were saying that there's no sponsor exemptions at all for the Irish Open this year, which is very strange because normally Irish squad members might have got to pick up an invite or through a sponsor or whatever. Um, but he was saying that you're, the, the standard of player that's going to play the Irish Open qualifier this year was going to be absolutely through the roof because one, Port Marnock Lynx is obviously a course that a lot of them play during the winter series to keep their yeah, game sharp. Nice. So, they, so they know it, they love it. Great venue for um, Yeah, and that was, I, th- I think it could be a future Irish Open venue as well. I hope it is. I mean, it, it's location-wise, hotel, good golf course. Connor's a good guy up there. I mean, they've got a they've got a yeah. phenomenal setup kind of forming, and and I don't see why not. I mean, the guys rave about it all winter series. Your Paul Dunn's, your Gav Moynihan's, Robin Dawson's here a good bit. He's the same. I mean, the quality of golf course in Ireland is. I mean, you could 
chuck a blanket out and find 10 of the best courses in the world so it wouldn't be the the golf and courses they have to choose from is is it's it's amazing for the tour but i do think with the current climate that those regionals are going to get even harder even stronger performances a lot of the smaller tours might not come out the other side of a of this current pandemic and then it might end up you might see somebody's bigger names pitching up for an irish regional event so the standard of golf even from club level pro level is going to is going to yeah. is going to have to improve and work. Stroke average on the to win the Irish region stroke average this year was sixty nine point four, I believe. Was Damien McGrain's stroke average across ten events? I think Colin Moriarty's was sixty nine point seven across twenty one events. And you're kind of going. Uh, it's funny if you don't. I I always feel that a lot of the younger guys and this is kind of going off topic, but it's kind of on topic because we're talking about those those type of guys. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of merit now. I think for some guys to maybe guarantee their PGA or get into a PGA training program where they can play a lot and go and test themselves against this. Because remember Damien McGrain ran the Irish tour effectively where everyone that wants any pro that wants to play chucked in, I think it was a hundred quid, wasn't it? Um, And they went and they played each other in various venues and they played for winner takes all effectively. Depending on your uh, status on tour, you paid more. Uh, okay. So if you were on the challenge tour, you paid 200 because you could afford to, but a guy who's playing um, uh, on a mini tour for somewhere is only paying 100 quid. And his, his base was, if you can't beat me and you yeah. can't beat such and such a guy, you don't need to go on tour. You need to go back and do your PGA. And like I always think everyone should do that anyway. I think year one, you yeah. should finish yourself in your region because if you can't get out of your country... And there is guys, I mean, Damien's a great golfer, Mariotti's a great golfer, Higgins, Thornton. These guys are class. Like, you know, and, and they win probably, I would say, between them, like 70% of those tournaments maybe as in a, a collective. Yeah, yeah, and financially, that's, that's nearly, I was looking at the yeah. top five. The top five accounted for nearly €100,000 in prize money on the region last year. Like and that that that's proper cash to be supplementing yeah. your your coaching or and if you if you are good enough to win you'll get that money plus you'll get your PGA your your minimum wage PGA and then you're probably you'll be allowed to go and get into Q school and whatever else because like people don't know Q school to enter the process two and a half thousand fortune. euros like so it's a fortune yeah so you got to be confident and I think having yeah. the scorecard in your hand like I would always kind of always worded it as in you should test yourself against the experienced guy. Yeah, if you can't beat the experienced guy. Like you need to have a little rethink and have a readjust. And yeah, come back next year. But maybe let's just get some degree behind you, some background. I mean, I fortunately when I turned pro, you had to you had to play seven events minimum each year in your region, and be signed off that you played in those events. And if you hadn't shot scores that were acceptable for a professional to shoot, you could be put back. It's a playing ability test every yeah. it's every, it every there, time you yeah. pick it up. Like you know, that was a big, big thing, and I think that's where the professional golfers and to earn merit amongst your membership, you should be able to play and hold your own, regardless of I don't play golf and I'm in the office a lot more now. I should better go out and still shoot a score that looks acceptable. Yeah. But for those guys to then shoot scores to get into the Irish Open and still be coaching <laughs> the likes of Moriarty, Thornton, um, Damien again. These guys can still mix it with these guys in the tour when they get to the PGA at Wentworth, and they're still holding down a job at the same time. And that's that's a phenomenal achievement for anybody. Mm-hmm. And the the younger guys have to start taking them on yeah. and beating them before anything's going to change in that aspect. 
but nowadays, I'd to, it's yeah, I'd love to see some. I'd love to see some coming, someone local coming through that, through that path. Mm-hmm. I, I think it ta- it'll take it'll take the likes of those three or four guys that we're talking about to actually qualify for a tour event such yeah. as the Irish Open and yeah. and actually do well and they're on the board and people go actually do you know what maybe I'm better off it's almost like I, I liken it back to the professional footballers and rugby players now who don't go to college and just go straight into academy yeah. that's a, just a disaster and this is just an extension of that to me because they've the no background no... The, the, the mentoring is a bit that's missed in golf in my own totally off yeah. in my own view is when I went to Sunningdale, we were mentored by Keith. So Keith is a phenomenal mm. golf pro. He'll be kind of mentoring McGinley still through that stage. Mm. Look at the guys I work with. Jody Addison runs Sandhurst in Melbourne. Mark Pendry running uh, Sandy Lane in Barbados. Jack wow. Laws, he's, he's the head pro at Le Bourde in France. Like, the, the, the five of us, yeah. like we're at five of the bigger venues around the world. We're not just in one spot. So we were mentored into business as well as playing. You had to compete. So I think if these guys, if Elisa Damien that started getting some of the younger guys under their training yeah. and supporting them from a coaching and employment part of you. I mean, they may well be. I don't know enough, but I'm sure yeah. those guys have a lot to offer and experience from all avenues of life as well as tour, as well as golf, as well as learning in the shop. And I think that's that's where a lot of guys can learn from. And that's where I think the assistant role in the PGA has to start becoming a bit more prominent. Uh, being able to get an assistant is quite tough. So I think once you get these guys making the steps, then once you have your Damien's coaching somebody through and still making these big events, the region will be strong. And, and there's a lot of good people, a lot of good people in the PGA, like even Gav, Gav Kavner there at Dalgany, it does some great work. It doesn't go unmissed, but it's very hard to get recognized because a lot of people just wouldn't know what the guys are up to yeah. in their off time to achieve this. And with Damien and that being so good, the younger guys have really got to step their game up anyway. So I think once, once Damien and that, I don't know, once they maybe get hold of them and give them a really, a really a good guidance point and a shake up yeah. and say, look lads, I've earned X playing in the region. Why are you yeah. not trying the same route I've done or yeah. gone through? Or and are there any young guys you see are there any young guys you see coming through that are, are showing good prospects? Like you mentioned also your Robin Dawson's and guys that are, yeah. are now getting some playing, playing rights, but if you want to go younger again, like your, your Mark Power is also your Mark Power is, is, Mark Power is a, an unreal talent, to be honest. Uh, I remember McGinley saw him and said to me, he's the best he's seen in the country since McElroy's younger days. I've heard that as well. And that, that was when he saw him, he went back to back juniors, didn't he? Yeah or youth on the 16 or under 18s there at a young age. And he's a great guy, Mark. He's very down to earth. He'll come by, very polite. There's a lot to be said for that. He's, he's, he's a humble, good golfer. Lovely good. Um, yeah. And that's the bit that I think can go missing as well. Like We've everyone... heard so little about him. It's mad. Outside of outside of that area, um, because of, he's, he's in the US, obviously, which yeah. is which is obviously the he reason. he must be guided but... very well because... yeah. Because there's a lot of people you hear about that aren't doing anywhere near the things he's doing or done. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, okay, maybe he's hit the accelerator and he's he could be on the PGA tour in a couple of years. He's you plus know? six now. For anyone who doesn't know, this plus is Mark. He's yeah. eighteen. He's plays at him at Juliet. He's in. Is he Wake Forest? He plays. He doesn't. Yeah. He just practices yeah, here and again. He's more. He's yeah. cooking any man. So he's uh, 
I wouldn't take any of Jimmy's lads away now. It'd be a, it'd be a rivalry down here. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mark's a good kid, and I don't want to do that. He plays off plus. He's lowest handicap golfer. He's lowest handicap Irish amateur in the world, isn't he? Wow. I would say, plus yeah. six, I believe. He's, he's a phenomenal talent, and I hope he does well. And yeah, we, we've got nothing but positives from our encounters with him. And it's now where these guys go from there. I mean, he's in a big, he's a big pond now. He's in out in the US. Yeah. And he's doing well. He's thriving. He's won. I think he won one team event and one singles event. The singles event, or one of the events he won. Sorry, it was almost one of his first events, wasn't it? It was. It was his first event he played. He won, which like that's outstanding. I I played. I played around him with him in Manchuria, and this was myself, Luke, Mark, and a friend of mine from from work. And like Luke's Luke's a great player, but Mark was was a league above and. We were on the tenth, tenth green. He easily reached it in two, and I, I gave him some kind of throwaway compliment. And Luke just turns around and goes, "He's playing at like forty percent," and he was like, "This one, he was like five under." It's. I was like, "This is this is sickening." When you see these guys coming through, the guy would have been with Stiggy Hodgson there back in two thousand ten. Stiggy was going to be one of the great hopes for England. Like he was at everything didn't get that next step and I think that's now where that experience yes. comes in and, and it can it's, happen I think Mark yeah, it's, background. it's going to be playing it's playing for money then it's the pressure that and Connor Purcell said it to me and this is Connor was obviously said ninth in the world ranked amateur played in the British uh, amateur final sorry semi-final he's beaten by Robin Dawson I think but and the Walker Cup and he said he loves playing for money and he said fundamentally you have to be this ruthless bit of a killer about you the, he said the amateur game is different um, because you've been brought through and everything is paid for by DUI or whoever your college is. He said when you get to playing for cash and there's a scorecard in your pocket and there's no cash in the other pocket, he said it's, it, may, it puts a lot of pressure on the pocket that the, the scorecard is in. Do you know that way? So that's we the next a, step. We had it there. That was a learning curve for us all there because you gambled. Everything was gambling. Every golf, yeah. every day. You'd gamble on your round of golf against the members. You'd double up. I remember giving out a few hundred quid one day and it was just like, it breaks your heart. And you yeah. just, but at the same time, you, you do learn. You learn how to score and you have to learn to score quick. Like a double gets you nothing, but a bogey might save you 50, 60 quid. That's a big yeah. thing from Ricky Fowler saying he'll go out and pay, play, play for an amount that's uncomfortable against someone who's worse than you as you're giving shots to. And it's actually Michael Jordan he plays against. Oddly enough, and he, he, he and it, because the reason being is that Michael Jordan would bet uncomfortable amounts and is willing to bet uncomfortable amounts on a round. And when he's sharpening his game up, that's where they, that's what they do. Like that, that's in an interview quite recently because there's been so much around Michael Jordan. But um, yeah, have, that's uh, remember Sam Torrance. We played together, him and McGinley and myself. I can't remember who it was now. And Sam, we walked off the first tee, and Sam says to me, "I'm going to play you for fifty quid in the usual games, but it's." Uh, no loss so you can't lose Matt so he was basically just playing me to give me money if I want I was never yeah, going to play him but he didn't yeah. want he didn't want, want to, to give money nothing. so it's an unlosable basically I couldn't lose but he could he could and that was all he wanted so it's a similar like he knew yeah. I'm 23 years old like what was I going to what can I play him for that makes any interest nothing <laughs> <laughs> whereas like, <laughs> 50 quid to me when you're 23 living in Ascot's quite a heartbreaker if you lose. 
<laughs> you're, you're looking at your looking at your rent for the month. Going. You're looking like, how do I get out of this situation? So that was a good learning curve. Again, experience point. You you can't buy experience, and I think the sooner the the old guard, so to speak, of the playing circuit do very well. Once those guys have influenced enough the younger ones, that's when you'll see your next crop come through. Because as great as a GUI and the amateur scene is, like you say, it's your own cash in the line, and then it really, really hurts a bit more. So Irish golf's in a good place, though. You've got so many good players, so many good courses, so many good coaches. Like, we're lucky. We're very, well, we are lucky. Mm, definitely. But that's brilliant, Matt. Thank you so much. Uh, I think that looped around really nicely into passion and Juliet hopefully sometime this year yeah no worries look forward to seeing you all anyway and uh, stay safe yeah cheers thanks, thanks for very good with your time thank thanks, you guys see you later Johnny that was that was very interesting that kind of went down a route that we weren't probably expecting and went on for a lot longer than we were expecting and I suppose that's the, the joy of the podcast we, we want to take yeah. this away from just been an interview and, uh, and get into into golf topics and what normal people talk about in golf um the the latter part actually for me was the most fascinating for uh, sure yeah even from, from my side i thought we'd get into the european tour side of will the irish open happen this year will it be next year all the ifs and buts around that but then once we started getting into where the irish pro and amateur scene is and who are the kind of up-and-comers like like mark power and, and the likes of them that's when it got like for me pretty nerdy yeah i i have i think I think that suits, hopefully our audience are into that because it's people who are passionate about the game and, but they, there's, there's not that much visibility on that part of the world, the kind of regional PGA yeah. side of things. And as I alluded to in, in, in the chat with Matt, it was, it's a, it's a little bit your apprenticeship, like doing college. If you're a golfer, you've got this to fall back on. Um, and Damien McGrain is very vocal about this. Like he if, he, if he's kind of saying, if you don't beat me and you don't beat Colin and you don't beat Neil O'Brien, there is no point you going on tour, wasting all your money and wasting a load of years of your life to to pursue uh, that kind of a unicorn dream. Basically, it's like get real. If you want to come out and play us for a hundred quid a man in a twenty man field, I'll set it up and we'll we'll go and play for cash. Yeah. Uh, we should get so, Damien on. Yeah, I, and I'd like him to be, and he's very frank and honest, actually, yeah. when he talks about that. He, he's very frank and honest about how he sees the game um, in terms of like driving ranges, having 20 pros in there and everyone fighting for a small audience. Um, and he, he, he doesn't hold any punches. And that, that, that's what, what you love about him. So, yeah, let, like, have a chat with him now and following on from that conversation would be great. But, um, yeah, another episode down. Uh, I think that's the fifth we've cracked Five. into yeah yeah well gone through it quite quickly now so hope everyone's enjoying if you've any um if you've any recommendations or people you'd like us to talk to or things you feel we're crap at and you want to give us a bit of advice um everyone all, feedback welcome. Ditch, all feedback all feedback welcome um but yeah thanks very much for listening everybody and see you next time on the tee jack nicholas this is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory.